The scripture reading for today comes from Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our, fel- our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Amen. You can be seated, and I want to invite James Petropolis up right now. He will be our guest preacher this morning. Uh, James is coming to us from New City, Sacramento, and uh, he's currently working to become licensed in our presbytery, and so you know, pay close attention to his sermon. Let him know what was encouraging to him afterward. I'm sure that would be a ministry to him, and we want to be very thankful for his ministry to us in preaching this morning. So, James, I'll hand it over to you. Take it away. Yes, good morning. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, my wife and I are both here today, Leah, um, and so we would love to, uh, to talk to any of you after the service, um, just to get to know you guys. Um, so yeah, so we'll be, we'll be in the text that Kevin just read today. Thank you for reading that. First, uh, Colossians 1, 3 through 14. Um, so let me open there real quick. Um, I'm going to pray first, and then we'll jump in. Let us pray. Lord, thank you so much for this time that we can have to explore your beautiful truth. Um, this is your word um, that you inspired through your Holy Spirit. So help us to pay attention today, knowing that you will work, that you will speak. Um, so help us to uh, open up our ears, to be quick to listen. Uh, help us to understand in our minds and in our hearts uh, to be edified and hear your miraculous and wonderful gospel that you have given us. And so, in Jesus' name, amen. Um, so I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with uh, a fantasy author named J.R.R. Tolkien. He's the author of Lord of, the, Lord of the Rings. It's also a very popular movie series. Um, you may not know that he was also a professing Christian. Because of this, somebody asked him one day, Tolkien, we know that you're a Christian. Why do you choose to write fantasy? Why is this your chosen outlet? And to which he responds, there's something special about fantasy. Something that realistic fiction just can't seem to tap into. And that's this desire. It's this longing that's inside of every human heart. In other words, 
It's a want of a redemption story for good to triumph over evil. You see, regardless if you believe in God, regardless if you think there's an afterlife, you want good to overcome evil. It's just a deep desire that we all have as human beings. And oftentimes, it's communicated, especially in fantasy and sci-fi movies, as light overcoming darkness. There's a, there's a video game that I was playing a couple weeks ago where that's the very premise, is that human beings had had the, the they, they harnessed the ability to expand across the whole entire universe, and as they did so, they realized that there was this darkness that was coming in, and they showed as these waves kind of clouding over everything. And the whole idea of the game is that you have to figure out a way to stop the darkness. We get a very similar premise in our passage today. Listen with me at verse 13. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, where we have been made saints in light. But there's a big key difference between so many of these sci-fi, so many of these fantasy ideas, their redemption story, and the Bible's redemption story. You see, in these movies, in these books, the idea is that Darkness is coming in, and we have to fight it off. But in the Bible, we read that the darkness has been here. It's already clouded over everything. And we're trying to figure out what to do about it and coming to the conclusion that there's nothing we can do inside of ourselves. There's no strength that we have in order to push the darkness out. It's already here, and so we are desperate for a light to come in and solve the problem. And so let's, let's continue to think about this idea of light overcoming darkness in the form of, of a story. Pretend with me that there was a, a town, okay, a town that is just covered in complete and utter darkness. And in this town, there are, there are thousands and thousands of people living there. They've been living there the whole entire lives, but they can't see. And so most of the time, they're just wandering around, just trying to get to where they're going. And maybe that involves them reaching out to grab onto some kind of object to feel some kind of hope. Maybe it involves them grabbing onto somebody else's hand just to stabilize themselves, but ultimately never feeling truly satisfied. Until one day, a man comes into this town. He's the most miraculous, pure, illuminating light that you have ever seen. And you would think that these people, being so desperate for something better, to be satisfied, that they would run to this man But you get the exact opposite. These people run away. They hide their face. In the same way that if we are sitting in a a dark room for several hours and then walk out into the bright sunshine, we can't help but close our eyes. It's too much. It's too powerful. It's too bright. And so most people just turn away. But some people, just because of a lack of hope, so desperate, they go to this man. They want something more. And the thing about this man is that he's not just light himself. He also offers this light freely to anyone who asks. And so some people go up to him and they ask for this light. And he reaches out and he touches them. And instantly, just by his touch, they themselves are turned to light. And they notice things right off the bat. One is that they can see who they are because of this man who just turned them into light. Two, they can see a circumference around them. They can see light that comes off of them, and they can begin to see some of their surroundings. And three, almost immediately, they recognize that they are on a path. 
And looking up from that path, in the far distance, they see the most incredible city that you could ever imagine, just filled to the brim of gold and jewels, and they say, I am going there. You see, these people in this town, they have been removed from the darkness. They have now become light and are on the path to salvation, to their hope. John 9, 5 reads this. This is Jesus speaking. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. You see, Jesus is the only light. He is the only one who can remove the darkness, who can pierce through it. Darkness will remain darkness unless there's an outside source that comes in to give it light. We all know this. The the world is going to remain dark if it's not for the sun. Your room inside your house at nighttime is going to remain dark unless there's a lamp or a candle lit. Darkness requires an outside source of light to become lit. And this is what Jesus offers. This is why he came into this world, to give us that light. And so, in our first paragraph, verses 3 through 8, we hear Paul is so incredibly thankful. Why? Because he has just heard reports of the church of Colossae being removed from the darkness and becoming saints in light. How can he not be so overjoyed and excited because of this reality? These people have been saved from their sins and are no longer suffering the, the, endless, the endless cycle and, and um, terribleness that comes with living in this world of complete and utter darkness. Of course he's happy. You see, Paul himself hasn't gone to the church of Colossae. Rather, he commissioned a man named Epiphras to go. And Epiphras is now reporting back to Paul, telling him what, 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 he, is, uh, what he has encountered there. And, and what he's telling them is, these people have true faith. These people have the true gospel. It's incredible. And much more than that, they are even loving people based on that true faith. It's, it's, it's incredible news. Their, their hope is set in their salvation. They have assurance. And this is enabling them to have even more faith and more love, Paul is telling us. They have the true gospel. This is interesting that Paul says the word of truth, the gospel. I mean, why does he make the point to say truth? And I think we can take away two things from this. One, for him to say truth is to say, it is true to save. It will save you if you put your faith in this gospel. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, it will save you. That is a promise. Also, if you say something is true, then obviously you're saying it's contrary to false. And a problem that was coming up in the church of Colossae, as Epiphras reports to Paul, is that there are false teachers. And these false teachers want to tell the people that Christ is okay, but maybe there's some more that you need. Maybe you need some higher philosophy. Maybe you need some rituals and and different things in order to be saved. And Paul's saying, no, you have the true gospel. Hold on to it. This will save you because of Jesus Christ, because of his work. And so do not be discouraged. Another thing to point out is that the church of Colossae was a pretty small church. Much smaller than the other churches in the area. Epiphras was responsible for going to several churches around, but Colossae was the smallest. And so Paul is specifically writing to the smallest of the churches, saying, do not be discouraged. You have the truth. In the first century, you might, you might pick up that obviously there's not any main source of transportation, easy transportation. And so you're not going to get out into the rest of the world very much. And so 
what you would rely on are reports from other people. And so you might be very tempted, if you're in a small town, not hearing very many things, to say, am I actually doing it right? Do I actually have the true gospel? Is this this right? And Paul's saying, yes, it is. This is the same gospel that's going across the whole entire world. Rest in it. And so church today, if your faith is in Jesus Christ, I want you to think right now, what does that mean? What does that mean that you have been saved from complete and utter darkness that this world, the only thing that this world has to offer you, and have been transferred into the kingdom of the Son, where you have been made light? You are light right now by your faith in Jesus Christ. How can we not be so incredibly thankful for that news? And it's not just us. There's millions of people around this world. Every nation, every type of person, personality, man, woman, child, are all being welcomed in to this glorious message, this glorious gospel. It's incredible news. They're on the same journey as us, heading to that salvation, removed from the darkness and made light. And so, of course, that's, we get that information in, in the first paragraph, but we have a whole other second paragraph. And so, Paul doesn't end with simply encouraging them, wanting to strengthen them. He goes on to pray for them. And this is interesting. Why is Paul seeking to pray for them? And he says, without ceasing, not to, not to mention, uh, without ceasing, he's saying, um, I'm going to pray for them. Why, why would that be the case? So let's, let's think back to our story. Remember, these people have just reached out to this man who has made them light, and they now see themselves as children in light, saints in light. They see their surroundings, a circumference around them, sort of like a bubble, and they see a path that they're on in their distant future, their, their salvation, their hope, that city in the distance, and they know that that is where I'm going. And you're going to get a lot of excitement, right? You're going to get very encouraged, But quickly, that's going to fade. Because you're going to notice something else. You're going to notice that there is a lot of darkness in between this light and that light. How am I going to make it? How are they going to make it? It just looks so difficult, so treacherous, so many obstacles and enemies to overcome to reach that destination. But this man who has offered light, he promises them something that I am also giving you my spirit. And the spirit says, by its power, that I will keep that light in you lit. And even more than that, I will expand that light. I will grow that light so your circumference, your vision will get even bigger as you go on your journey to your future hope. Psalm 119, 105 says this, Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. Remember, Jesus Christ is this light. He has offered this light, and now it is the Holy Spirit who will sustain that light, who will grow that light and will guide us to our hope. And so why is Paul praying for the church? Simply because they're going to be on a difficult journey. They are on a difficult journey. Yes, they have true faith. Yes, they have the true gospel, but it's going to be hard. And so he's praying for them. What is he praying for them for? Well, first, he's praying that they would be strengthened by the Spirit so that they may know the will of God in all understanding and wisdom. 
And so, I mean, there's a question right there. What does it, know, what does it mean to know the will of God? Well, simply put, it's to, it's to um, know who God is and what he has willed to do for you as his child. To know that he is God and that he has come up with a plan to save you and then to rest in that. Paul says to be filled in that. You see, picturing a container, a container is incredibly useful, incredibly good. I mean, we, we use them all the time, but without the contents that fill it up, it's, I mean, it's nothing without the contents that fill it up. And so Paul is saying to be filled with this so that you would know who you are and where you are going because of it. Secondly, he goes on to say he wants you to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. And this might seem a little daunting. I mean, we, we get four things here, and you're going to say, I, I mean, I have to do all these things to be pleasing before God? Listen to what it says. It says, he wants you to bear fruit, produce good works, do good things out in your world. Secondly, he wants you to have a knowledge of God. Third, he wants you to be strengthened to persevere in all joy in every circumstance. And fourth, he wants you to give thanks to the Father who has qualified you. But here's the good news. You see, these four things, they're not given as commands. Rather, we can take them as inevitable facts. Paul is saying, because you have true faith, because you have been given the Spirit, this will happen in your life, and that is your promise. This is what you can rest in. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. And so Paul is praying that they would be equipped by this miraculous power of the Spirit to guide them to their hope so that they could tackle the obstacles in this world, so that they could know how to respond to the false teachers who are in the church, so that they could know how to respond to their own sin that is, is dwelling within them. So they, they are saints in light. They have been saved, but they still live in a very sinful world, and they themselves can still fall victim to their own temptation. So Paul is praying that the Holy Spirit would work in them to help them on this journey. And then lastly, as we gather all of this stuff up that Paul's telling us, we start to notice um, a pretty cool thing. He, he gives us a, a pretty good outline, a, a Trinitarian message, right? He, he gives us a Trinitarian message in this passage. If we remember, the Trinity is that there is one God, one being, and at the same time, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And these three persons, this one God, from before the foundations of the earth, as Ephesians tells us, has planned to bring a people to himself, to save a people from this world of darkness, of sin. And we see that in our passage. Paul is outlining that. Each person, listen, with Father in verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you. In other words, the Father who has authorized you, the Father who has willed it to happen. And we get the Son, the Son who works, the Son who came to this world in order to live that perfect life, in order to die on that cross, to be resurrected for our hope, as our hope, as our salvation, um, to remove our sin, to cleanse us, right? So he works. And then lastly, we get the Holy Spirit in that second paragraph, who sustains us, who grows us, who keeps us. And so these three persons, this one God, going back to that verse 13, 
has delivered us from the domain of darkness. In other words, has rescued us from the authority of darkness and has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Transferred. You are no longer in that place anymore. If you are moved to another place, you can't be in two places at once. You have been transferred to the kingdom of the beloved son. And so today, if your faith is resting in Jesus Christ, you are in the kingdom of the beloved son today, right now. And that's incredible news. That can offer so much assurance, so much hope for the journey, for the difficulty that's going to lie ahead in this world. The Holy Spirit will continue to work in your lives, day by day. Right now, it is working. It may not always feel like it because our world is difficult. It is treacherous. Treacherous. There's a lot of, a lot of just challenges that present themselves to us as we, as we live our normal and daily lives. And so it can be hard to think, or it can, it can, it can be confusing. Um, you know, is the Holy Spirit actually here? Is it actually working? And Paul is promising us today that it is. You have the Holy Spirit. He will guide you. He will strengthen you. And so with this knowledge, with this faith, with the Holy Spirit, with the power that it gives, we can begin to learn to rest in the work of Christ, knowing that we are saved. We can begin to learn to persevere against anything that this world has to throw at us, knowing that we are protected. We can learn to love our neighbors throughout our city because we ourselves are being loved, because our light is growing. And lastly, we can remain in that ultimate hope that we are heading towards. And so, of course, we've been using, I mean, we've been using a lot of illustrations, but let me just make it very clear, okay? This is all possible because of Christ Jesus, and only possible because of Christ Jesus. The book of Colossians is all about Christ and his work, his person. And so how is it that me, a sinner, can be saved? How is it that we, sinners, can be saved? Because of Christ. Because he is God who came down from that perfect, beautiful, incredible place in order to come here to a world of complete and utter darkness, to be hated, to be ridiculed, to be spit on. But he did it for us. And he lived a perfect life, completely holy, completely righteous, completely good. And because he was God, because he was good, we ourselves hated him for it. And so the world sought his death. And so they strung him up on a cross. But the thing about his death on that cross is that it wasn't an ordinary death. It wasn't like you and I will die someday. No, his death, because he's God, because he lived perfectly, he was able to satisfy, he was able to remove the guilt that we have because of our sin. He was able to take it upon himself, die to it, so that we can be called saints in light by simply asking him, by simply believing in who he is, God, who came to die for us. And then, of course, he was resurrected three days later, proving his divinity, and ascended back into heaven, where we get an incredible message of assurance right here. God, Jesus Christ, is in heaven right now, ruling over all of creation. Despite what we hear, the domain of darkness, the authority of darkness, Jesus has more. And so we have assurance that we will get to where we're going by putting our faith in Jesus Christ. We have that hope.
We have Jesus Christ. There's nothing that this world can do to us. We will get to where we are going. Light will overcome darkness totally, completely. All of those movies that we watch so much that where we just want the good thing to happen, where we just want the evil to be defeated, that will happen. Jesus Christ is the one who will make that happen. This world, all the terribleness that goes on, all the injustices, all the oppression, all of the abuse, it will be no more because of Jesus Christ and his work. And so I ask you today to consider that, to think about that. Do you have faith? And if not, why is that? Do you want that? And I would love to, I would love to talk to any of you about that after the service if you are interested. So let me just end right here with saying that Jesus Christ is the light, brighter than the sun itself. Ecclesiastes 11.7 says this, The light is pleasant, and it is good for the eyes to see the sun. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, thank you so much for this time that we could have to explore your word, to explore uh, the book of Colossians. Uh, We know that you are working right now. We know that you have saved us, that you have worked Jesus Christ, and now you rule for us. We will get to our future hope our salvation, Lord. Please give us that hope. Please spur us along in this life. Please give us your Holy Spirit to strengthen us. All of this in Jesus' name. Amen.